Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcam here with Blake Alderman. Blake, Florida comes away with a pretty convincing win over Kentucky, but it felt like another ho-hum game. We were talking about it before we kind of started recording on the podcast. It just, you know, it was another sluggish start from Florida. Again, kind of ho-hum is the term that Dan Mullen used to describe the Vanderbilt game the week before. And I think you look at this one and you come out of it feeling pretty much the same way, no? Yeah, you know, I... I it was it does it's a slow start and i don't know i think just the start of the game i think things were really just playing into kentucky's favor and the fact that they wanted to really milk the time of possession they really wanted to you know keep the ball away from florida's offense and they really started to do that and I think the game changer was really Kadarius Tony getting that punt return. It seemed like that's whenever it took things out of Kentucky's favor, how they wanted to play things. But super slow start, but obviously they pulled away at the end. I think that was kind of what we had both expected, you know, just um, uh, the score predictions we had had, just that it was going to probably be a sluggish start and, and pull away, and that's what happened. Yeah, you know, we've talked about a couple times, you know, Florida needing to take some steps, make some progress ahead of the SEC championship game in Atlanta, and I think – a lot of fans were really hoping this final, you know, three, four game stretch against Vandy, Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU would, would start to provide some optimism in terms of Florida's taking significant strides. And I think a lot of fans, particularly after you come off the Vanderbilt game, where the team was just kind of, it, it almost felt like they were going through the motions a little bit. You really hoped that they'd come out against Kentucky, knowing that the last several games in this series have been pretty close, you know, knowing that this game's at home, you know, that Kentucky really it's pretty one-dimensional offensively. And you would have hoped that Florida would have come out and kind of blown the doors off Kentucky. Now I know every game is kind of, you know, its own contest. And I think there were a couple times in this game where this one could have gotten out of hand, you know, if Justin Shorter doesn't fumble in, you know, Florida's own territory and allow Kentucky to get into the game, maybe this thing turns into a blowout early, but like, I think, I think we're starting to kind of get to the point in the season where it feels like, okay, this is kind of who Florida is. And yes, they may make some, slight steps forward in certain areas, but this is the team that's going to show up in Atlanta more or less. I mean, they, they, you know, Dan Mullen has said they don't want to peak too early in the season, but you're getting pretty close to the point where this is who Florida is. I guess let's talk about defensively because I know that's, that's obviously a big topic for everybody. What, what is your take on the defense coming out of this game where again, they start slow, they have communication issues early on. It seems like guys don't know where to get lined up early on. But then all of a sudden, the second half, this is probably the best half of football that the defense has played the entire season. Where are you at with those guys right now? You know, I, I think it's a little concerning when it's, you know, it's week eight for Florida and you're sitting here still seeing guys lined up out of place. I don't know if that's a, a coaching thing during the week or if it's just guys just not relaying that and, and understanding it when it translates to the field. You know, I, I'm not really quite sure there. But I think at this point, 
you, you don't want to see those things at, at this point in the season. Um, you know, continuing, though, I, I think that Florida's defensive line, I think they played really well. I think they got a lot of pressure back there. I think Florida's linebackers, um, sure, there were some plays that, you know, they got out of position and, and there were some runs that were able to, you know, so, so to say, break loose. Um, you know, nothing like really crazy, but I think for the most part, Florida secondary continues to struggle. I think that there's still those guys, the Marco Wilsons, the Donovan Steiners. I think Sean Davis could be grouped in that position group somewhat, but I feel like he's a guy that deal still, he's able to make, you know, some plays up later on. He had that interception. He, he's a guy that you, you have some plays with him where you're like, man, like, what is this guy doing? And then you're like, oh man, he totally redeemed himself. So um, I, you know, I think that Steiner and, uh, and, and Marco Wilson are the, the two guys that I think that Florida should start to, Look at some other options. You know, I mentioned on the last podcast, bringing in some younger guys. You know, I think of Rashad Torrance. I think he's a guy that's a younger guy who's played really well. Trevez Johnson, who's more of a star. Um, he had an interception himself there, there too. Um, I think it's time to start looking at some of those younger guys, man. I think that Florida is at a point in the season where they, you know, a Tennessee team that, yes, it's on the road. Sure, you might want to throw in some of those guys – those veteran guys when it's a road game and it's going to be a little bit colder, but I just think that they need to start incorporating some of those younger guys in there too, just because I just, I, you know what you're going to get with Steiner and Wilson. And I think that it's just time to look at some other options. Yeah. You've been pretty vocal about that for a couple of weeks. And I, and I think you're right. You know, I, there's a couple of plays that stick out to me in that Kentucky game. I think the first one for me was a, I think it was a third and two and, you know, Steiner and Wilson are playing on the same side of the field. There's two receivers to that side. And they both end up carrying the inside receiver vertical and leaving the tight end to just run out to the flats wide open for an easy first down completion. That's something that can't happen when you have a senior in Donovan Steiner and a redshirt junior, a fourth year player in Marco Wilson. I mean, those are the kind of busts that just absolutely should not happen when you have two fourth year players and you're, you're just leaving guys wide open. And we've talked about it a good bit on this podcast if the veterans aren't getting it done, what's the harm in playing a freshman? I mean, if they give up, you know, a big play, so what? The other two are as well. The other play that sticks out in my mind was, you know, Kentucky's lone touchdown pass in the game where, you know, Donovan Steiner has responsibility on the tight end and man coverage. Kentucky runs a play fake, you know, He's down inside owned. the five. And, and not only, you know, are his eyes in the wrong spot where he steps to the line. And, and I understand, you know, you have to be willing to play the run there if they're going to hand it off inside the five. But, you know, he, he tries to make up for it by hanging on the tight end and he just physically got outmanned. And I think we've seen that, you know, going back to his freshman year, I've said it numerous times. I know I get, I get laughed at on Swamp 24 seven for being a broken record on this, but, and, and I don't mean this as a character assassination or anything, but Donovan Steiner just doesn't have the athleticism to play at an elite level in the sec. And when you see that, you know, he doesn't have the recovery speed to make up for getting your eyes in the wrong place. And, and I think, to, to a lesser degree, I think the same is true of Marco Wilson. You know, obviously he was a fantastic athlete coming out of high school, but he just hasn't looked the same to me since he, he had that knee injury and came back. You know, he doesn't have the recovery speed for whatever reason. You know, he just doesn't seem to be on the same page as the defense too many times. And I, I think to your point, you know, if you're looking for fixes, I don't see why you don't start playing some of those younger players. But Blake, having said that <laughs> – I still find myself going back and forth. I, you know, last, last podcast, I said I kind of am yo-yoing between whether or not Todd Grantham is getting too much criticism because the offense is so good because everybody's looking at, you know, this Florida team in the prism of, okay, we're going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. Are we making too much of the, you know, the one part of the ball that maybe is not as up to par as it should be? And there's a certain part of me, you know, it's funny in the first half of the game Saturday – 
we're looking at all these same issues, you know, the defense not getting lined up in time, you know, they, Kentucky converts a, a third down, down inside the, you know, inside the 20 on a play where Florida's subbing guys in late. It's like third and one Florida subbing guys in late. They don't get set because they don't get set and they have guys moving around the defensive line. They end up offside. So Kentucky didn't even have to run a play. They would have got it anyway on the sneak, but you know, those are the kind of things that, you know, when fans are watching these games, particularly early on, and it's still a close game, you're looking at that and you're like, this is never going to work against Alabama. And I understand the frustration. And it's funny when we were in the game thread, which, you know, I, I kind of pop in and out of those as we're covering games. Somebody asked me, you know, TG, do you still feel like we're overreacting about the defense? And I was like, eh, no, you guys are probably right. I was probably wrong. But then you get to the second half and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you look down at the numbers, 221 yards Kentucky gained. 3.6 yards per play in the final eight drives going back to the end of the first half, basically uh, the final drive that wasn't, you know, just to take it to half seven of those drives, Florida basically gave up nothing. You know, they gave up 40 yards in the final eight drives, I believe. So outside of the slow start, the defense really did play phenomenal. Now I totally understand some of that is Kentucky. Kentucky's completely one-dimensional. You know, their running team, once Florida went up 21 to 10, it changed things quite a bit in terms of what Kentucky was able to do, what they wanted to do. They got out of their game plan. But still, you, you know, that's the hard part about Florida, and it's not just the defense. Is you see the glimpses of what could happen if the special team shows up on the same day as the defense and the offense. And even the offense wasn't super consistent Saturday. But I think that's what's kind of – frustrating about this team is now that we're eight games in it feels like that's just kind of who Florida is now having said that I think there's a chance that all three of those phases happen to click against Alabama you just don't know but I still find myself like a little bit willing to defend Todd Grantham and I know that I'm in the minority there but I I do think that the front seven's playing better I cannot defend some of the personnel decisions in the secondary I can't defend some of the you know personnel decisions even at linebacker but having said that, James Houston came in and played really well. Uh, Mahmoud Diabate, I thought, played one of his better games. You know, had one or two plays where he definitely was off. But I look at it, and overall, again, I keep going back to the way this team is constructed. They're finding ways to win games, and it's hard to argue with that right now. No doubt, and I think at, any, at this point – Florida's going to have their struggles on defense. I think for the most part, you still see the same struggles like you mentioned. You know, it's frustrating in the fact that you're still seeing the same things. And there are things that you could think that could be, you know, lining up is something that could be fixed easily. That's just something that should be coming in practice at this time. The secondary, I think it's a personnel thing. I think that that's something that could be fixed. But younger guys, I mean, I mean, you don't have that goes. I just think at this point, if you're going to have your struggles on defense, you definitely want to see them come out and have a, you know, some kind of game plan at halftime to, you know, if we're going to fix this, we're going to fix that. And, and, and I think at the end of the day, like, I think that's the silver lining in this defense is, yeah, you don't want to start out slow. I don't think you want to start out slow against a team like Alabama. That's going to be one that's going to really they're balanced, but I think that they're pass heavy more so. I mean, they have Najee Harris, like he's going to be able to do his thing from the backfield, but they're just really strong in the passing game. And I think that it's hard to not put things in the spectrum of looking at Alabama because I think a lot of fans, I think even some players could probably even do that, even though they're very, you know, on to the next game. This game is the important. I just think that Alabama, when you look at that and you see how the secondary is still having their struggles, it's going to be – I don't know that it's really a good matchup for Florida. I think whenever you look at just how they not only stretch the field, but they really turn to the passing game. Um, 
sure, it's a silver lining to know that Florida can come out and they can and it can have those you know second half adjustments. But it's hard to think about Bama down the line, and that's not a team that you want to let them get out to a hot start. You don't want to have a slow sluggish start in the first half, let them jump out to a big lead or get into a boat race type of game. But you want Florida to continue to make those adjustments at halftime. So uh, you know, again, there's some silver lining there, but. I, I, it's hard, man. It's hard to just not look down the road and look at Alabama and just think that that's, that's the hump that Florida has to get over. Well, and I think, you know, it was funny listening to Dan Mullen after the game. You know, we're on our message board, and I post, you know, the, the live updates from Dan Mullen's postgame press conference. And, and before, you know, the press conference gets started, everybody is kind of chiming in saying, hey, you know, grill him about Todd Grantham. Ask him if he's going to fire Todd Grantham. Ask him this or that and press him on this. And as a reporter, you want to ask those questions, right? That's, that's our job is to kind of flesh things out, not necessarily to intentionally be critical, but to find out what the coach's thinking is on certain things, right? Find out what the thinking is about how they're doing defensively, find out, you know, where they want to improve that kind of thing. And I thought Dan Mullen said one thing that was really, really interesting to me after the game, you know, and he was asked about being on the cusp of Atlanta, you know, because Florida's now one game away from clinching the SEC East and getting to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And, and Dan Mullen said, you know, really, I don't think about that. He said, I've been here before. I know what it's like. We're going to enjoy this win. We're going to enjoy this win. I know it's Kentucky, but we're going to go ahead and enjoy this win because that can get lost at a place like Florida. And anybody that went through that 2009 season at Florida, I know Dan Mullen wasn't here for that, but he talked to some of the guys that were on that staff that were on that team about what that year was like going through all that when you have the expectations of it's, it's basically never enough. Right. And ironically, it feels like Florida's gotten there before they've won any championships to me. It feels like, you know, whatever Florida does is not enough. Like when you look at it at the end of the day, Dan Mullen has a better record through this many games in his career than Steve Spurrier did. And then urban Meyer did. Now I know both of those guys won sec titles to this point And Dan Mullen so far has not, but that's a significant accomplishment, particularly given the fact that this year is SEC only slate. You know, Dan Mullen has done what he's done going seven and one against an SEC only slate. And outside of the, the Texas A&M hiccup, which we've talked about a lot, you know, they were, you know, that was a very winnable game. Florida's won every game by at least 14 points this year. Every other game other than A&M, they've won by at least 14 points. In any other year, you know, without these kind of this, this context of the, the expectations that Mullen's already built up and, and getting over the Georgia hump, getting to Atlanta. And, and again, because of what Jim McElwain did in his first two years getting to Atlanta, now the expectation is not just to get to Atlanta. It's, okay, you have to actually have a team that shows up and is competitive. There's so much built into our kind of pre-existing outlook on this season that it is easy to get lost in the defensive struggles when you see you know, an opening drive yet again, go for good yardage against you and guys not getting lined up or not getting set properly. It's easy to lose focus on the big picture. And the big picture is that Dan Mullen has absolutely elevated this program, that Florida is in position to contend for championships and that anything can happen within one single game. Right. So I'm not, I don't want to minimize the issues on defense. We should talk about them because yeah, those are things that need to get cleaned up. Like you said, if you, if you want to go into that Alabama game, not fall behind early and really put yourself behind the eight ball, but I do think it's important to kind of set the context for fans that, hey, you know, what Dan Mullen has done through this point in his Florida tenure is on par with some of the best coaches in Florida history. And certainly there's a ways to go. Certainly he's still got to win an SEC championship. You want to eventually compete for a national championship. But when you're talking about building up a program that he took over with four wins, 
he's clearly reestablished the baseline and in some ways is already a victim of his own success. No doubt. And I think that's just, you know, those elite type of programs, I think you start to look for those. You always get a little bit hungry every year. And I think that that's just where it's at now. I think that, you know, Florida fans have been waiting a long time for some offense. You know, they've been waiting a long time for some QB play. They've been waiting a long time for championships. And I think that they're starting to get some of those other things and man, you just get a little hungrier. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Blake, let's take a quick break. I want to get to some recruiting on the back half. I know we've got the early signing period coming up and you know, there's some, some key targets and we'll also tackle our five-star mailbag right on the other side of this commercial break. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, I wanted to tackle our five-star mailbag question to lead off the second half of the podcast. We have a question here from Steve NYC 1989 uh, says, great podcast, excellent and insightful content. Thank you. Uh, a question for 2021. What is the ceiling and the floor for the receivers and tight ends? And I'll go ahead and toss it to you and, and see what your thoughts are. You know, I think Florida, they're going to lose guys. Um, you know, Tony, uh, you know, there's going to be some other guys, Grimes, you know, some other, uh, you know, Pitts more than likely is going to be gone after this season. I, I don't think that it's something that's been Safe for bet. sure, but I mean, man, Safe like, come bet. on. Um, you know, I, I think they have a pretty good group coming back. I think that Justin Shorter has shown that he, he's a guy that can do a little bit of everything for them. Um, you know, Jacob Copeland has flashed, and I think he'll continue to flash as he gets more on his plate. Um, you know, some of the younger guys, Frazier's, uh, uh, Henderson, you know, just, there's plenty of guys there that I think that, you know, even mixed in with the guys that they have in the 2021 class. I think that I like the group that Billy Gonzalez has kind of got through there. You know, he's got some dudes through the transfer portal over the years. I don't know that numbers really work out so much for that this year. Um, but, you know, tight end, I, heading into the season, man, I, I was pretty nervous about, it, you know, just the room overall, just looking past Pitts. You know, Pitts is obviously one of the strongest guys in, in the entire, you know, college football game right now. But you look at Gamble and you look at, uh, you know, Zipper coming back too. I think that they really shown a lot whenever Pitts was out for those two games. I think that Gamble showed a lot in the blocking game. And I think Zip did too a little bit. Um, 
I, I like the combo they bring back. You know, you even have Jonathan Odom, uh, the freshman, who really hasn't got a lot of looks this year, but he's got that size that, you know, you can bring something into the blocking game there. Um, I, I think that the, you know, it's hard for me to sit there and say what the ceiling is going to be because I didn't think it was going to be as high as it was this year heading into the season. You lose guys like Van Jefferson, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond. You know, those were big-time playmakers for Florida, and I really didn't have a lot of high expectations heading into the season, um, but they have really, I think, have played – way over my expectations so I think from next year it's hard for me to really say just because you know I wasn't super high on this group you know I thought that it was going to be a step back and really just haven't seen that so um, you know I think under Billy Gonzalez's coaching I think he does a really good job of getting those guys prepared I think he does a really good job of elevating those guys play you know you can look at shorter I mean people at Penn State seem like they're ready to write the guy off you know whenever he left Penn State you know he even had kind of, I mean, I don't know if it was like they were calling him a bust, but I mean, it seemed like he was getting that bust tag on there for being the number one wide receiver. And I think he's really played well. Um, you know, so I think that they're going to be pretty good. You know, I, I, you lose a guy like Pitts, man. I mean, you're, you're going to see some production drop off there just because Pitts is just so good. Grimes, I think, has really played really well. And I think that his size is something that's going to be missed for Florida. But I, I'm pretty high on the group next year. I don't really quite know what I put their ceiling, but I definitely think that they're going to be a group that I think plays higher than what people would think they're going to well and you said something that was exactly where i was going to go with it i think when you talk about evaluating the receivers and the tight ends going forward the big question for me is who's quarterback and how good are they because i think to your point when you lose four receivers like they did last year three of them get drafted in the nfl draft another one makes it you know practice squad we expected significant drop-off. And I was one of the people that, that questioned them a lot. And I know a lot of Florida fans, particularly on Swamp 24-7, were pretty adamant that these guys, you know, Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter, Grimes, that there wouldn't be a big drop-off. And, and even some of our national guys, I, I know Josh Pate at one point in the offseason put out a video kind of questioning, you know, what's it going to look like for Florida? There's big question marks. And by, you know, the second week of the season, he was like, yep, I was wrong. These guys are legitimately good. They've got weapons everywhere. I think a big part of that is Kyle Trask. I mean, Kyle Trask has put those guys in positions to make plays. He knows how to find the open guy. He knows how to lead guys. I think that's one thing we probably don't talk about enough with Kyle Trask is not only does he throw a very catchable ball, but he throws it into areas where guys can get yards after the catch. And, and that's a very underrated skill. You know, uh, particularly with Felipe Franks, it felt like even when he completed passes, he would throw guys dead, you know, where they, 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 they couldn't run after the catch. And so I think a lot of the high quality receiver play you're seeing this year is a product of good quarterback play. And you talked about, you know, you talked about Billy Gonzalez elevating the play of that receiver room. He absolutely has. And he's a terrific assistant coach when it comes to developing those guys as route runners, as blockers, making them understand the full scheme and the picture that, Hey, even if the ball doesn't come your way, you may be running a route that clears space for somebody else. He does a great job of that. But I think, equally important in that discussion of elevating play is the quarterback. And I think it's probably safe to say that Kyle Trask won't be here next year. We just have not seen enough of Emory Jones yet as a passer for me to really know whether or not he's going to be able to elevate the play of those guys the same way that Kyle Trask did. I think that they've got some talent coming back. I think what the two tight ends have shown Gamble and Zipper, you got to feel pretty good about those guys moving forward. I think Justin Shorter, like you said, he would be the guy that I would circle as probably your number one receiver next year. I think Copeland's probably number two. Yeah, I, to guys. me, he's, he's still a little too inconsistent. Uh, I think, you know, I think the guy tries really hard, but I think he gets a little bit emotional in the sense of 
he he's a guy that wants his touches and that's not a bad thing obviously you know all the good receivers do but I think I want to see a little bit more from him that we've seen from like Kadarius Tony over the last few years of turning into a more well-rounded receiver you know developing some of his all-around game get a little better as a blocker uh, I'm not I'm not as high on him next year going forward as some of the other people probably are and then the other thing that we knew going into this year we were going to have to see a lot of Trent Winamore, a lot of Xavier Henderson, a lot of Jaquavian Frazier's. And Henderson's really the only guy we've seen a good bit out of. I think Winamore's been solid, but, you know, not, not anything. He's had the injury, too. He, he's hurt right now. Not anything that you would, you know, say, okay, he's going to be a star next year. So, I, you know, and again, but you could have said the same thing about Jacob Copeland and Justin Shorter, you know, coming sure. into this year. So, I, I think there's going to be some development. I don't think the ceiling will be quite as high, you know, next year as it is this year. But I would have said the same thing coming into 2020. And That's why it's a hard question to answer, you know, because like really I, I wasn't super high on the group this year. So, you know, I, I'm kind of in the same boat, maybe heading into next season as I was heading into this season. But man, I, I've been, I feel like I've been wrong once already, man. Like, so I could be wrong again. <laughs> and I, and we haven't even talked about the guys that are coming in, you know, Dejon Reynolds, Rucker, I think Marcus Burke, um, you know, you, you probably have a better pulse. on Charles Montgomery is another guy too. Charles Montgomery seems more like that Tony type, whereas Dejon Reynolds is more of the uh, Grimes big frame, maybe not the fastest guy in the world. Rucker, I think is more of a Tony type guy too, because he's, he can do a little bit of everything. I mean, his last playoff game, he had a passing touchdown a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown so that screams Kadarius Tony type mold to me being a smaller guy uh, Marcus Burke I think is a beast man I think he's a guy that's going to take the top off he's got the length I, I'm really high in him as well too and Gage Wilcock Nick, Nick Elksness at tight end I mean this is to me that's a pretty good group sure. of, of very recruits. good group very good so, group speaking of recruiting Blake uh, I know that there's, there's been a couple updates recently that we probably want to fill listeners in on I know everybody that's at Swamp 24-7 obviously follows you but uh, go ahead and fill in on our listeners on some of the, the things to watch coming into this early signing period. Yeah, you know, I, I have an update posted on the Swamp 24-7 site right now on Tunamiche Adeyele, the four-star defensive end target out of uh, Texas. He's been uh, top three, Florida, Alabama, Texas A&M. That's been the top three that he's had for about a month and a half, two months now. Those are the three schools that have been really the ones that have been talked about the most with him. Was actually just at Alabama this past weekend. Uh, wasn't able to meet with the coaches there due to the dead period, but he got a ticket to the game, uh, spent some time in Tuscaloosa. Came out of that saying that Alabama was a team that seems to be having some juice in his recruitment, seems to be kind of on the trend there. A&M has gotten him on campus earlier this fall. I think A&M is the team to beat for him right now, but I think Alabama is starting to close the gap. He's actually even admitted that Florida seems to be kind of drifting back in that update that I mentioned that's posted on the front page, uh, front page of the site. Um, he even said that you know Florida seems to be kind of drifting away. Doesn't have any plans to get to Gainesville. He's been able to visit those other two schools. You know, you never know what a visit could do to shake out there. He's planning on signing on December 17th, which is the second day of the early signing period. Um, so I think at this point, Florida needs to get him on campus. It does seem like he's trending back there. Uh, Xavier Sori, the four-star linebacker target uh, out of Bradenton IMG Academy. It's from Graceville. Uh, originally up in the Panhandle area. He's actually back home now because IMG has finished with their season, and, and I believe they do a lot of virtual school things anyway. So he's back up there with family, uh, taking his virtual classes and whatnot. He was actually at Alabama this past weekend. Uh, he was there for the Iron Bowl as well. They're a team that very early on, even some of the crystal balls for Alabama are very early for him. They were a team that was very much in the mix. Um, Georgia, Florida, those top three schools there. He was actually on campus for the Arkansas game, uh, bought a ticket to that game uh, with another IMG teammate, was there for that. Um, has not been to Georgia. I believe it was 
August, July, something like that. They had a couple prospects on uh, campus, spent some time with some of the commits for Georgia. So he's been able to visit those three schools through the dead period. Another guy is making a decision on December 16th. So I think right now this is, you know, I, I feel like this is a recruitment where I, you think you have a pulse on things. You know, earlier in the fall, it did seem like Georgia was a team that kind of had the edge there. Florida started to get a little bit of confidence there coming out of that win over Georgia and Jacksonville. Uh, now you get a guy like him on campus at Alabama. I mean, Alabama is just one of those teams. They can turn it on like that, man. They can right. get in the mix for some that. of these. You just see it time and time again. So I think that this recruitment is still very much a battle. I think it's very fluid recruitment. I think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. I think this is going to be one of the more roller coaster type recruitments leading up to that uh, December 16th decision. Florida's definitely in it, but it just certainly seems like the other schools still have some confidence there. Uh, four-star safety target Terry and Arnold out of Tallahassee uh, was not at Alabama this past week, and he was expected to be there. He was also expected to be at Georgia the weekend before and didn't make it to that either. So that's two visits back-to-back that he did not make. Uh, this past weekend, he had a basketball game, so that's why he couldn't make it for the Iron Bowl. I like Florida there. He's not making a decision until February's National Signing Day. So I feel like this is a recruitment that, again, still has some movement there. I think that, you know, with a guy that hasn't been able to take visits and hasn't been able to get on campus anywhere, he's really relying on just the communications with a lot of coaches. I think Florida has done a great job. Obviously, safety is a big need for them having some of those upperclassmen guys. They've done a good job. I mean, their defensive back class right now is really nice. I think they have one of the better classes in the secondary uh, in the country right now. But I think Arnold – I mean, number one safety on 24 seven sports. I think that's a guy that's, I mean, that's a cherry on top type of guy. I mean, he's extremely athletic. He's extremely quick. And I think he's a guy that Florida would love to land. Um, But again, you got to wait till February's national signing day. So I think where Florida has the edge right now, I mean, man, he's a guy that seems to really like the process, man. Like I think there's still some movement there. Uh, Bryce Langston, four-star defensive end out of Ocala Vanguard, Florida, I think it's, I mean, it's Florida LSU for him. There really hasn't been any change there. Hasn't been able to get on campus. He's a Florida, uh, former Florida commit, but he's not going to sign until February's national signing day either. So I think he's a guy that's going to wait a little bit longer out. I have no idea why seeing as how there's no visits until April 15th, but nonetheless, he's still going to wait things out. My crystal ball has been on Florida for, I think like, about a year maybe like several months there so I think that Florida still has the team to beat there just location not being able to take visits I mean the staff is still very much prioritizing him as they want to continue to add another defensive end to their class so you know I I think that those four guys right now are the main targets to continue to follow going forward sure there's some other targets in the mix but I think that those are really the top guys to keep an eye on right now kind of going through the motions there you know, spots are limited right now. I think that that's the thing where, you know, if one guy does something else and goes another way, I think you could see some, you know, like an Xavier story. You know, they have a guy like Terrence Lewis out of Miami who's committed to Tennessee that they've been in touch with. Uh, four-star linebacker uh, Trevin Wallace, who I'm really high on. He just decommitted from Boston College. Um, he's a guy that Florida could turn to. So they've got some options, like I said. You know, even a Lawrence Seymour who's committed to Miami, a Destin Hill. There's some other targets that they could even turn their attention to if some of these things go south or if, you know, some of these guys. But I think the two new Michets, the stories, the Arnolds and the Bryce Langston's are the really the main guys to follow going forward. A couple other guys, Florida's commitments on the Swamp 24-7 site, if you go to the commitments list, a lot of those guys have little signs. One looks like a little sun starting to rise. That means he's an early signer. And the other one that looks like a clock means that they're an early, um, early enrollee or expected to early enroll at Florida. I've actually been hitting up a lot of these guys in Florida's class just to make sure, you know, who's signing here, who's early enrolling there. So that list is actually pretty current. But a couple of the guys that I wanted to make a note of that aren't planning, that are committed to Florida, that aren't planning on signing early, uh, Javante Gardner, the three-star offensive lineman out of uh, Orlando, Travante Rucker, who I mentioned before, that wide receiver commit, he's planning on signing in February. Tyreek Sapp is a four-star defensive end out of Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas. 
He's not sure yet if he's going to sign in December or February, so he's not really sure right now, but I think he's a guy that if I had to pick one who may or may not sign early, I think he's one that it's, he's worth mentioning at least just because he does seem a little unsure right now what he wants to do. He's a guy that really wanted to take visits during the fall. He wasn't able to during, right. uh, you know, just with the dead period and whatnot. In a recent update that he did with uh, 24-7 Sports, Andrew Ivins, he mentioned that Florida, he's in communication with every day. You know, Tim Brewster is the guy that's taken over that recruitment as well as, uh, you know, David Turner, the defensive line coach at Florida. So Florida's doing their due diligence. They're doing everything they can to keep him in the fold. He mentioned Alabama as a school he still talks with, as well as Georgia Tech. So he's not sure if he's going to sign early or not. Another guy that won't plan to sign uh, early for Florida is Juco offensive line commit Diavi Hammond. I think we mentioned him on the last podcast. Uh, He's going to sign – I guess later on, I, I don't really quite know if he's a guy that will sign in February yet. I, that's still unknown right now, simply because the fact that he's going to need to take that spring semester, you know, at junior college, Florida has not really had a lot of success over the years with junior college guys. So that's why I'm kind of waiting to see what happens there. If everything goes as according to plan for him, he's a guy that's going to try to enroll in the summer. Yeah. I would think, you know, with the the pandemic and recruits not being able to visit, you know, guys that obviously want their spot in the class and are pretty sure about it, you know, it makes sense for them to sign early. But some of these plus one types like Arnold and Sori and, and these guys, there's no harm in waiting. I mean, if you can't visit campus either way, why not let, you know, things play out, see if coaches shift around to different schools, who gets fired where, and, you know, which schools end up poaching coaches from other places. I mean, if I was a recruit, I, I wouldn't feel any real sense of urgency at this point. You know, I wouldn't either. I would definitely be, you know, I, I'm a guy that would take all five of my official visits. Yep. I would definitely make this thing a big to-do. So Take an official to Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I've heard that you actually, they're really strict on those. So you have to, I think it's, you have to have taken an unofficial visit beforehand or or something that effect, because man, I would totally go to Hawaii. Yeah. All right, Blake. Well, thank you for the update on recruiting. Um, I want to, two quick notes. One, obviously guys, we, we really enjoying the five-star mailbag segment. It gives us a chance to hit on topics that, that you guys are interested in that we may not otherwise think of. So be sure to go to iTunes, drop us a five-star review, and leave us your five-star mailbag question on that review, and we'll get a chance to answer it on Thursday when we come back with the next episode of the podcast. And then it is Cyber Monday, and we have a 75% off deal on annual VIP subscriptions. It's one of our best offers of the year, limited time. So if you're listening it's to this podcast- good till December 1st. Okay, so limited amount of time. I mean, that's tomorrow. So, <laughs> so uh so if you guys want to take advantage of that, again, Blake is, is all over the recruiting news. Uh, he keeps it very current, so you'll know exactly what's going on with that. And then, you know, I do stuff like a VIP film breakdown every week where we go through every play. We talk about responsibilities, who, who it looks like is at fault on certain plays, who's impressing, uh, you know, kind of things that maybe you don't necessarily watch when, you, when you're watching the game on Saturdays and, and, you know, you're having a beverage or two. Uh, but we go back through it and really kind of analyze that so we can ask more informed questions of the coaches and really, you know, put together a more complete picture of the team. So I think that that annual VIP subscription is very worth it for 75% off. If you're somebody that's been on the fence and, and waiting to get, you know, really, really quality Florida Gators news, great time to take advantage of that. So that'll do it for this episode of the podcast, guys. Thank you again, Blake, for the recruiting update. We'll be sure to check back with you, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks as early signing day approaches. Uh, but for, for today, that's going to do it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.